scorer. And the stadium erupts. Downing running to build the fullback. Whips a great looking ball in. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Borough Mag podcast with me, Rob Fletcher, the editor of Borough Mag. I'm really, really pleased today to be joined by an ex-Borough player who a lot of fans will fondly remember from a really, really successful period in our club's history, is about to release uh, a new book all about his time in football and it's Malcolm Christie. Hi Malcolm, how are you doing? Hi Rob, yes, I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Are you getting all ready for, um, ready for a book launch? It must be a bit different to uh, stepping on the grass to play a football match. Yeah, it's all it's all changes, all exciting times as well. Um, you know, this book, as it was, well, forty three years in the making. In all fairness, <laughs> but, um, you know, for effectively the last sort of eighteen months or so that I've been working on this project with my uh, with my publishing house um, in order to bring this book to life or my story to life as such. Um, yeah, and it's been it's been a really really interesting thing for me to do because. You know, I'm sure as we'll we'll touch on, you know, me, my life in football, kind of my experiences of joining Middlesbrough went were really, really downhill very, very fast uh, during my time there. So, you know, I've been able to in the last 18 months reflect on, you know, what I achieved from relatively nothing, um, the way I got into the game. I also touches on coming out of the game as well, which is which I found incredibly difficult as well. So the book's been almost, you know, very therapeutic in a way in order for me to you know to address a lot of issues that I had that you know even my family didn't know about um you know that I've been able to touch on in this book so I'm hoping it, it gives a little bit to everybody you know you don't have to just be a Middlesbrough or a Derby fan or people that have followed my career to pick up the book I, I think that it will touch most people because I've tried to you know include as much as I can of my life not just football it doesn't go from match to match from season to season it it follows suit, obviously, throughout my life, but I've tried to put so much more in there than it than it just follow that. Because I've read enough footballers' autobiographies to know what how I wanted mine to to sort of look and feel. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's called the reality of the dream. And you talk a little bit about your sort of unique journey from non-league to Premier League. What was it actually like looking back on that? Obviously, you've talked a little bit about injuries and. I know that that's such a big part of what happened in your career. But what was it like looking back on those sort of very early days of trying to make it as a footballer, playing in non-league, having other jobs to sort of support yourself? Maybe the side of things that people don't see. What did it feel like sort of going back to that? Yeah, it's fond memories, really. You know, when I, when I think back and reflect back of times in my life, you know, my me and my journey before I was a professional footballer, yeah, there's com- there's comical elements of it. Of course, you know, the way that I that I came into football, um, you know, the grounding and, and and things like that, that that playing non-league and uh, you know, Sunday league football as well that I was that I was playing. So it gave me um, you know, when I when we've talked about the reality of the dream, obviously people will think, well, maybe wasn't it wasn't quite what he made it thought that it was going to be. So there's a bit of both of it, obviously, you know, the, the fact that the dream was to be be a footballer growing up. But, you know, as you've touched on there, you know, I was 19 years of age. 
I was working in the dairy aisle of Summerfield Supermarket in Stamford playing Sunday league football for my brother's fruit and veg company. <laughs> so, you know, and I suppose when I've reflected back and you, you hear, you know, you hear people's stories, you read people's stories. I've read enough footballers' autobiographies to, to, uh, to sort of see where people come from. And, you know, I just think that my story and the way that I came into football was, was so unique. There's not, there's not been a, a footballer that's, that's taken my journey and had my career path where, you know, they've come from, from non-league, never. And I think where the, the rarity comes from, me, from my story is that I was never at an academy as a kid. Right. You know, I was, was never signed to a professional academy. Um, and, yeah, so I didn't go through that experience. So, you know, it was all almost like picking somebody, you know, out of space and just dropping them on earth and just saying right there you go that's what you, you're doing get on with it kind of thing and and that's what the story goes into is is you know I didn't know what it was like to be a footballer I didn't know you know what it was like to be in a, in a professional footballing dressing room the most I'd ever trained weekly was like maybe once or twice a week you know I didn't even train for the for the Sunday league fruit and veg team we, did, we just turned up you know it was lucky whether the position were hungover or whether I was hungover so you know going from that signing a three-year professional contract with Derby County in the Premier League was was incredible like it was you know even when I look back now there's never been a player who's done that route before and I can guarantee there'll never ever be another player do it again because no 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 nobody ever will go from non-league to signed into the Premier League to make their Premier League to make their professional debut in the Premier League, having joined no academy as a kid. Mm. That's never, ever going to happen. So that's where my unique side of the journey came from. And it is such a different thing to modern football now, isn't it? Where almost you feel like these clubs sign up so many young players that possibly will never even get past sort of age 14 or 15, will they? Because they get stuck in the academy system. They have hundreds of kids there. They're not really spread that evenly across the country. Um, when you started to think that the professional dream might be a reality, what was that like still turning out with non-league and thinking, do you know what, actually, I might have a chance. Did you have lots of scouts looking at you? Was it just Derby who literally came and grabbed you and said, look, this is what we want to do? Or It was, well, I played a trial match for Nuneaton. This is going back, so rewind the clock to 1998. So I played... Uh, um, like a trial game for Nuneaton in, in the April of 1998. And in the October 1998, I was signing a three-year professional contract in the Premier League. So I didn't really get an opportunity to experience what it was like, you know, even at that sort of non-league level. Because what non-league gave me in some respects was a great footing to know, like, maybe what I was going to be exposed into, which was, you know, the fact that there were supporters watching me. Yeah. It's a big... Like I was when I was playing deep in ranges, it was one man and his dog watching, you know, it was me, mum and dad might be watching the families. Whereas, yeah. you know, going to play at a stadium where there's a crowd was, was a massive sort of step up. And it, and it was, you know, obviously the book goes into that. And it talks about the, you know, the way that I had to acclimatize, um, you know, from, from that, you know, sort of short experience to getting myself into, into professional football. Cause a lot of people, well, I, I talk, you know, people sort of connect with me and they go, oh, you should story is very, you know, Jamie Vardy, very similar to Jamie Vardy and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously he, let's forget about 
in some respects, you don't have to forget about it, but you know, he achieved a lot more in football than, than and he's still going at the end of the day. So he, he he achieved a lot more in football. But when you talk about like journeys and things like that, Jamie Vardy was obviously at Sheffield Wednesday as a as a kid um, and had two full seasons at non-league. You say non-league, he was he, I'm sure he was on decent wages when he was playing in there. So he had a good footing and then got signed into the championship where he had, I think, two seasons or one season and then a poor season in the in the Premier League. So you know, when, when people sort of run parallels to people's stories, of course, the trajectory of my story didn't go on to achieve the heights that I wanted to do because, you know, of the injuries that I got in 2000 and um, late 2003 when, um, when my injuries hit with Middlesbrough. But, um, you know, like I say, I think that, that I'm so proud of, you know, going through that side of things the way I did. And, you know, that I can just tell that story back because it was it was touched on when I come into football. You know, people said, oh, this is, it was almost like a comedy element of it. Oh, and, and supporters would would give me some stick for it, especially opposition supporters. Oh, they used, you know, they used to, used to say, oh, you know, go back to the supermarket and one thing or another. And, and you know, that was, it was like quite comical at the time. Um, you know, I had um, local newspapers taking me back to Summerfield to take, photos in the aisle with baked bean tins in my hand and stuff like that you know you look back and you think oh my god but it, it was it was almost like a comedy story at the time but then now when you sort of fast forward it you know forward you know 25 odd 25 years since that happened that it's so unique and it's it's such a a, a a unique journey in that respect that that I'm glad that I can able to tell the story and and hopefully you know, like I say, people who are involved in football or not involved in football can, can read it and just find out how you go from one thing to the next in, in a relatively short space of time and having to deal with that. Yeah, that must have been a huge thing to deal with, like you say, even from the training, from supporters. When you first got to Derby and you signed that professional deal, what was it like just turning up on the first day of training? What was the kind of things that were going through your mind? Well, I, t- I turned up in me, me, me dad's Sierra estate. Like it was, it, 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 like because he was kind of helping me settle in and stuff like that. He, he, he used to drop us. I didn't, I didn't even have a, a decent car at the time. I had a, a Ford Fiesta, a C-Reg Ford Fiesta, which was about eight years old. So, um, you know, turning up for training, my dad dropping me off, you know. But the thing was, what did help me is there was no expectation on me. No one knew me from, from anybody, from Adam. Do you know what I mean? So it was like, for me going in there, um, half, of, half of me was really daunted by it all. Half of me was, was inspired as well because, like, I was sat next to, like, Paolo Wanchop on the first day of training. We did it down at the baseball ground. And I was sat next to him and I was just thinking, oh, my God, like, I was watching you on the telly, like, last week or some on match of the day and now I'm sort of sat next to you so you know you think to yourself yes you're sort of reliving your dream but it was almost like I suppose when I look back it was almost like an out-of-body experience in some respect that that I was doing it but it, it never really felt that I was doing it until until realization hits that you know that you that you're actually improving as a player I think that's what helped me you know like you said there the the, the day-to-day training that I that I had just helped me massively. I had really, really good people behind me as well. People that supported me and people that, that were with me for a lot of the journey as well. So people like Steve Round, um, Mikhail Arteta's assistant manager now, obviously 
you know, you'll know him from his time at Middlesbrough, but Steve Brown was like almost my mentor when I got to Derby County. So, you know, having somebody like him behind the scenes, helping me out and, and training me and working on movement, positioning, you know, it just, it just put me in a position where Derby County at the time was just the absolute perfect team to join. Yeah, and they were at that time quite an established Premier League team as well with some good players. Were there any players who, obviously as well as Steve Round, were there any players who gave you some advice coming into the club, just, just from a general point of view of sort of the attitude you needed or you know, turn up on time, attitude and training? What, what were the experienced players like at the club at the time? Uh, reflecting back, I don't remember there being... I mean, I remember uh, Lee Carsley... Um, he was like an experienced player. He he would pull me side to side every now and again and just have a have a chat with me. But now I was pretty much led to get on with my, myself. The thing is, though, I, as I said before, that I didn't go in there like as a first team player as such. So there was no, you know, I wasn't signed like I was where I experienced latterly in my career when Dar Middlesbrough signed me from Derby, where you, there's that expectation straight away. You've got to perform immediately. I had some of that when I went from deep in Rangers to Nuneaton Borough, where you felt that you had to perform instantly. But the good thing with me, when I joined Derby, I didn't feel like I had that weight on my shoulders. I was just so like incredibly amazed that I was a professional footballer, that suddenly, you know, from me not knowing what I was going to do in my life and me having no real clear direction of, yeah, I went to college and one thing or another and uh, worked in the supermarket, but there was nothing like, oh God, I'm going to do that with my life. I'm going to do that with my life. It just so fell almost on my lap that that's what I was going to do. So, um, you know, I, I just went on with it and try and dealt with it the best way I could. Reflecting back on that period when you signed for Derby, did you enjoy that? Was that sort of a real thrill at that point? Uh, yeah, but it wasn't with, without, you know, tough moments and, you know, accepting, you know, that when my life was going to change massively, you know, I was, I was a, born and bred in a small town in Lincolnshire, you know, there was mm. no aspirations of, of, of people that had ever achieved, you know, anything that I could look at and go, oh yeah, he came from Stamford or he went and did this and that, you know, Stamford's not known for many, you know, there's not much celebrity going on. I, I didn't rub shoulders with any famous people or whatever and you know the people that you know I saw on a day-to-day -day basis whether it be college school or you know at the supermarket were just people that I grew up with you know yeah. so you sort of you know as I say you know talking paying an alien from space and just dropping him somewhere that's really you know it was like a duck out of water a little bit so you know that's really where the the book comes into it and it explains you know some of the comical things that we went through and the times and and, you know, just understanding that my life was going to change and did change very, very quickly. And, you know, I always used to get this one where people go, well, oh, because he came up in football differently, he gave him a greater appreciation of stuff because he had a job before. Well, you know, I used to go along with that and agree with it because, you know, you didn't want to just suddenly cause, cause conflict. But do you know what? In some respects, it was harder in some respects, yeah. because I had no clue what I was doing. Do you know what I mean? I've not, yeah. you know, you go from being an academy player, you know what it's like to be in a club environment, to be in a dressing room environment, to do that day-to-day -day stuff, to learn the banter, to, 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 you know, learn the coaches, how to train, how to carry yourself, watch professionals turn up on a daily basis. What do they do? What do they eat? I had none of that. 
I had none of that. This just was 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 sort of learning on the job, really, taking it to sort of day to day, you know, winging it in some respects as well, because like, you know, it was just it was difficult at times. I think you were probably winging it pretty well, though, to be honest, because it didn't take that long for you to get a, a first start. And now it's quite um, funny with all the Borough fans. We always end up signing players who score against us. We always sort of used to joke that our scouts would only watch literally anyone that scored against us. But your first start for Derby was, ironically, yeah. against Borough. And you, yeah. ironically, scored two goals against us as well, which kind of goes along with that theory. What was that like when you realised your name's on that team sheet? Like you're saying about expectation, you've not had that way. You might have played in academy leagues and academy tournaments and that sort of thing. What was it like seeing your name on a team sheet for the first time in terms of the starting eleven? I was just... By that stage, it was like 18 months into my sort of journey as a professional. I was I was 100% ready for it. You know what I mean? I'd done the hard yards. I'd done the reserve. You know, I built my body up, you know, mentally. You know, I, I was just ready to start. I was just like a cold spring, just waiting for that opportunity. And, you know, in some respects, it was the perfect game for me to play in, you know, away from home, away from the pressure of the home crowd. You know, Borough were doing pretty poor at the time, weren't they? So... Um, you know, although saying that, we, we weren't, you know, pulling up many trees either. So um, I just remember being, you know, inspired. I mean, Gary Pallister, one of my heroes growing up, was 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 playing for Borough. So, you know, I was just ready for that game and and just did all I could. And the game went, obviously, in terms of debuts in the Premier League, it's it was a dream come true for me. You know, that just... I wanted, I, I dreamt so many times, you know, in the previous 18 months for my opportunity. And, and I just knew that when it come along, I had to take it because, you know, would he have stuck with me for five or six games for me to go, all oh, right, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, he's going to come good. He's going to come good. It's so important. It was always really important for me, you know, as a goal scorer to hit the ground running and to, you know, I wasn't blessed with, incredible skill or blessed with incredible you know guile as a footballer you know what I was blessed with was movement and getting on the end of things and 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 you know when the ball drops almost having a sixth sense of where that ball was going to drop um and you know I always kind of knew that if the ball was in the right places that I would score goals and you know luckily for me you know that game you know went incredibly well and I'm you know, so proud of, of 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 that moment, and obviously up until that point was the the, the biggest and best day of my career. Middlesbrough have plenty of bodies back for this Derby County corner. Christie, his first goal for Derby County on his first start for Derby County. Christie in space, close to goal, one 0 Ball forward, Schwarzer should come out and deal with this. Oh, he hasn't! It's fallen to Christie. Schwarzer's in all sorts of trouble, and Christie scores! Malcolm Christie, his second of the game. Derby supporters celebrate. Their side are 3-0 up. Well, it was comical goalkeeping almost from the Middlesbrough keeper. Christy punished him. I was just going to ask, actually, that must have been a relief to think I've started a game, I've affected the game massively, I've scored goals, we've had a big win, 
Yeah. And like you say, you, you've got that little bit of extra leeway now because you'd mentioned it before. You could have been, oh, he's the kid from the supermarket. Just send him back. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't spent much money on him. It doesn't really matter too much. But then it flips and it's all of a sudden, well, hang on a minute. What have we got here? We must have a real good prospect because he's scoring goals in the Premier League. Was there, you've got a probably a bit of relief, but did you feel any more pressure after that? And you thought, do you know what? I've actually got to do this week in, week out now. I've got to even step it up even further. Now I'm now I'm in the first team. No, I just love I just love the feeling of of playing and scoring and you know as a child growing up you know to to you know I'd not have experienced like fame or anything like that and you know I was just lapping it all up. If I'm totally honest with you, I just loved it. Um, you know to be you know in the limelight and people wanting to interview you and you know TV cameras pushing your face. I'd I'd almost prepared for the moment, you know what I mean? I'd prepared so diligently and, you know, people behind the scenes had, had as well for me to have that moment that, that, no, I didn't, I didn't ever, there was never a moment where, certainly in them early stages of, of making my debut in them, them early games, never ever doubted myself ever uh, in them early, in them early days in them games because, you know, it was just, it was just living any boy's dream to, to sort of, sort of play, score and be, you know, it was my, you know, I wanted just to cement myself in that team and and be a regular rather than, I've experienced the substitute, the, the guy who didn't get in the squads had been there and I didn't enjoy that. So what better way to, to sort of enjoy your career or your, your, your time at Derby by being a regular, which ultimately I, I ended up doing other than a couple of times where I was sort of left out of the pitch. I, I I pretty much played the majority of games from that point on, really. Yeah, and for, for a team like Derby to have someone who could regularly score, which you did, to be fair, in your your time when you were there, who were the sort of strikers that you had a really good bond with or you really enjoyed playing with? I know you've mentioned in other interviews before, you played with people like Ravinelli, Mikel Beck, Dion mm. Burton, uh, mm. Dean Sturridge, some, some good names from that late 90s, early 2000s period. Did you have a favourite player that you liked playing with? Uh, there was a guy called Branko Strupa, um, yeah. Belgian international, came from Genk, um, and he would he would have or could have been someone that could have formed whenever we played together, which was very very rare because Branko st- suffered from 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 bad ankle injuries and never really got himself fit in a way where we could forge a decent partnership. But whenever we did play together. I always needed somebody because I've, as I've explained there, I was, I was getting on the end of a, you know, a through ball or something, but I needed someone to sort of hold the ball up. You know, that wasn't my game. Back to goal wasn't really my game. And Branko would do that, bring other people into play and I would play off the back of him. Um, You know, obviously didn't get the opportunity to do that. But other than that, I was kind of, it was never like, other than when Ravinelli came in and me and him played together for over a season. Um, and I don't, don't want to take this I don't want people to listen to this and take this the wrong way but Ravinelli was quite selfish with his the way he'd play the game as in he'd make the movement for himself to try and get on the end of things um, you know and that that's not a bad thing Don't I'm not saying that that's a bad thing but for me as a trying to play up front with him and trying to forge a partnership um, him making his runs for himself and things like that, you know, it made me have to make runs for myself. And we never really clicked like that to to sort of, you know, forge a partnership where he was holding the ball, playing me in or, 
you know, I can't think of a goal that he assisted me on, in all fairness. But <laughs> you know, I think I assisted him in a few, but it wasn't the other way around. But look, he achieves. Wow. I mean, just to play with Rav was, was a dream come true. I mean, you know, he's just winning the Champions League and scoring in the Champions League whilst before I was even... Do you know what I mean? I was still working in the supermarket, I think, at the yeah, time. Yeah. So, but he, he, he's, he's a legend and I, I was so, um, you know, honoured to play with him, to be fair. But it, we just we just didn't really forge that partnership where, you know, we were ever, you know, prolific as a, as a pair. I think that's definitely something echoed by Borough fans about Ravinelli's streak when he was at the club, especially at that time when he'd just come off the Champions League win, signed to Borough. He's the highest paid player in the league. I think he was at that point. He definitely wasn't one for uh, setting up other people and assisting. But Borough at the time when you were going to sign for us, I think you've been linked with us in the summer that Derby got relegated. Was that close to happening? Were the conversations with the club or was it just, you know, uh, Derby been relegated, Christie's a good striker, he's on the up, Borough need one? Or was it actually something a little bit more concrete than that? Uh, yeah, well, without giving the book away, yeah, it was very <laughs> close. It was, it was, it was very, very close. Um, you know, so when it eventually did happen, it was no sort of surprise to me because, you know, there's a, there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, which I, I would, I would say, did affect me when I, when I sort of reflect back of my time at Derby. Um, you know, some of my performances and stuff like that might have been a bit distracted with what, what was going on behind the scenes. Obviously. No one knew about stuff that was going on, but no, it was no, it was no real surprise in the respect of going to, to Middlesbrough when I did in the January. I was quite surprised that Chris came along, Chris Riggett came along with me. That was kind of, it was almost like two for the price of one, really, when, mm. when it worked out, because I think, you know, they were, they were quite surprised in terms of how cheap they were getting me. So I think they, they'd probably allocated X amount of money to get me, realised that I was half the price, yeah. and then went like, who else can we hold on with him? So it was a little bit of that. So, um, yeah, I was quite shocked. Uh, not shocked. That's not the right word. Surprised that uh, that, that Chris came along um, with me. But pleased as well because, you know, you know, he was a, he was a teammate of mine, a good teammate of mine uh, from my time at Derby. So it was good to, uh, to come along with a, with a fellow player. It was it was a strange time, that, that time in the early 2000s. That's kind of when the transfer windows came in, wasn't it? So it was like a... I think you used to be able to sign players right up until, like, March or April, didn't you? But... You yeah. signed in the January, and for us as Borough fans in that season, 2003-04, we signed yourself and Chris Rigger and Michael Ricketts all within that January window. It was almost like the summer had come again, you know, when you've got all the excitement of new players. And there was definitely a lot of excitement around signing you, especially because we had Massimo um, Macaroni, obviously with Ricketts coming in. We were starting to build a bit of a team under Steve McLaren. Yeah. Was the... Was the atmosphere around the club different to Derby? I know Derby been relegated. It wasn't probably going as well as you would have wanted to in that first division season. Yeah. But comparing Borough and Derby as Premier League clubs, was it a big shift when you came here or was it quite a similar environment? Oh, massive, massive, massive difference. Yeah. Training was was massively different. The intensity people would train at. Um, like just having players around that, were real winners, you know, like George Botang, Gareth, um, Ugo. They were just like, they were a different animal than what I'd ever sort of experienced um, at Derby. So straight away, I kind of knew that the level was was a lot higher than, than what I'd become accustomed to. But 
you know, at that stage in my career, that's what I wanted as well. I wanted to join a team that was was up and coming. Um, you know, so for me to come in at the time when I did, there was the transition of players, as you, as you Borough fans will know, you know, there was a some changing of the guard, shall we say, from from some of the old players that, uh, that Robson, you know, had, you know, to the, the, the team that McLaren ultimately wanted. So, um, you know, I was... I was a little bit surprised when they signed Michael Ricketts as well alongside me because that was I didn't see definitely didn't see that one coming, um, and yeah, but yeah, again, not giving too much away, but yeah, I'll talk a little bit about that in the book and things like that and uh, and stuff. So yeah, so it was it was it was good feeling, really good feeling because we were straight into it. So it wasn't like you know I transferred and we were you know as pre-season it was a get to know you it was straight into it. Do you know what I mean? So it was like you're experiencing the, the, the club and how it ran and how it operated immediately, which I think was good for me having that. So, you know, we could, we could sort of adapt as quickly as we could, um, you know, going along to, you know, it was Anfield, the first, um, the first game where I was on the bench, Chris started and, you know, just, just to play in a team where we were competing against Liverpool at Anfield. Well, that was a good fit. Like I remember seeing inside, well, this feels, this is good. This is a good feel. Almost like a warm feeling inside to think that, yeah, I've joined a good club here. Um, and you, obviously then it goes on to the uh, Teesweir Derby at uh, the Stadium of Light, which, you know, I've always, you know, as, a, as, a, as I've mentioned earlier, you know, I've always wanted to score, you know, make an impression and, you know, yeah, and, you know, you, you, you go back and you think, well, that, that Derby, debut against Middlesbrough was the perfect game for me to settle in and and yeah the Stadium of Light game again you know was was fantastic as well Chris scored two goals I scored my debut goal on the full debut which was again a fantastic feeling and and you know I was just so desperate to to you know get hit the ground running because I knew that you know if you don't then you know people start asking the question don't they and there was people there you know, whereas maybe at Derby, I didn't feel that, you know, threat if I didn't get in the team. There was definitely that at Middlesbrough. Mark Pilsy, our referee, gave the free kick this time against Kevin Phillips. Well, maybe a chance now for Malcolm Christie. This could be three for Borough. It is. And Middlesbrough right back in front now. Sunderland having done all the hard work and pulled the game back around. Has seen Malcolm Christie score his first goal in a Borough shirt in his second appearance. It's all about the new boys for Steve McLaren. Well, we thought Sunderland were getting back into it. Yeah. That's changed it again, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Kevin Kilbane, we've got a lot to answer for for that little ball he knocked back. Yeah, I was at that game, the uh, the derby against Sunderland, and I remember being in the crowd, how old was I at that time? Oh, 17. Yeah, 17 I'll have been at that time. And I remember thinking, I don't care what else these two do for us. They've just won the game against Sunderland for us. Because I think there's such a a close connection with players, especially when you sign them. If they make that good early impression, they do leave a lasting impact. And I remember thinking when you signed at that point that you weren't the type of striker that we had before. So we'd had mm. like Alan Boxic, Joseph Job was there as well. He was a very, very different style striker. Um, and then we obviously had Ravinelli, Beck, Brian Dean, Hamilton, Rickard. We never had that player, as you said before, it was really quick in the box and just wanted to get on the ball in the box and wanted to score goals. We'd had players who'd scored before, but I think you were a very different type of player 
than what we'd had before at that time. What sort of things, just thinking from a training point of view, what sort of things did you do yourself to sort of keep that sharpness up? Was it a lot of drills? You talked about Steve Brown before, and I know he was quite influential at the club with McLaren in terms of the training. What was that step up like to try and sort of elevate your performance and compete against those other strikers? Yeah, the, the, the beauty about my move to Middlesbrough is I was, you know, whereas I experienced Steve McLaren at Derby a little bit because I wasn't in the first team and he, he was the first team coach. I was more with Billy McEwen and Steve Round at Derby. Suddenly I was being coached by Steve McLaren, which was like brilliant because every session was great. I never, I don't remember ever coming off the end of a training session thinking I didn't enjoy it. Um, we used to work. We used to work so hard on how we were going to play, patterns of play, striker movement. Uh, Steve Round would pull the strikers away. We'd do a lot of finishing sessions. We'd work on movement, pulling off, getting in behind. Um, and you know they wanted, you know, again without giving too much away from the book. You know, they both Steves have wrote off the foreword for my book. You know, they wanted to elevate me to the next level, and I know they could have done absolutely could have done had it not been for um the injuries that that I was laden with for you know nearly all the time that I was there so you know and that's a shame for me because I had the best coach I had the best coaches and and like the best captain you could ever imagine around like Gareth and, and unbelievable teammates um there at the time that that I was I, I know I was improving as a player I scored a few goals obviously when I signed towards the end of that season uh, West Brom scored. I was quite fond of that West Brom goal. I scored that that um, that I scored at the Riverside, and I scored against Charlton as well. Yeah, and I was just I was I was just loving it. You know what I mean? It was a new set of fans to win over, and you know it was a challenge in that respect to do as best as I could towards the end of the season and just rev myself up for the next season, the, the following season. Yeah, I know that definitely that. With with the fans, that made a really positive impression. That back end of the season where you started to score goals, and it kind of felt like we had something that was building within the club, and we signed other players. Obviously, the next summer. Let's talk a little bit about how that that next season sort of panned out. That two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Now I know there'll probably be a lot of detail about this in the book, and it it's it's probably a difficult period for you to think about. Yeah, but. You know, it all changed in that that sort of winter of two thousand and three. Yeah. At the at the time, obviously, you'd not really suffered any bad injuries before that, had you? You'd been quite, uh, you know, like you say, you were regular at Derby. You'd been a regular at the back end of the season. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Again, without giving too much of the book away, my there was something that happened before my leg break as well that that sort of compounded that start of that next season. So. You know, I wasn't 100% fit going into that season, if I'm totally honest with you. So, you know, going into that season, not being 100% fit, found, I found myself in and out of the team, not being the player that, I'd been, that had been signed six months earlier. Um, so, subsequently, when I re reflect back, the Borough fans only saw the real me for probably four, maybe five games. And I was never the same player after that, believe it or not, mm. ever. So, you know, when you think back and you, you know, even you as a fan there said, oh, we were so excited. We saw you come in and 
we saw you score goals and, you know, it was such an exciting time. Just if, if then you put yourself in the mindset that there was only five games where I ever felt 100% fit during the whole time that I was there, that just tells its own story. It doesn't. And when you reflected back on that, when you were writing the book, what kind of, yeah. well, I can probably imagine, but what kind of emotions does that bring up within you in terms of, of that? Because, you know, you showed a lot of de- dedication and determination to try and get yourself back after that first injury. But was, you know, what was that process like of getting that out with someone? Uh, when I reflect back, it's sad in a way that, you know, the Derby fans can connect with me now and it's all positive, you know. Mm. So, you know, sorry. And so, you know, I'm not sorry, you know, that I'm looking for, <laughs> for, for people to feel sorry for me. But I just, you know, everything that I wanted to do at Middlesbrough to elevate myself to the next level personally, it just didn't happen, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that coincided with an unbelievably successful time with the club. So, you know... I know people will be going, oh, we'll get the violin out for him now. But it's, it's, and that's what the book's about, about my time at Middlesbrough, is how I, how that was for me, having been a player inside that dressing room that was seeing all this, seeing all this unfold. Um, Because, you know, the emotions that I felt during that time, and I've had a number of years now to reflect, and... The reader will understand why I'm a little bit, maybe a little bit bitter and a little bit angry as well of certain things that went on um, behind the scenes when I was there that I've never had the opportunity to say um, for one reason or another. I've maybe not wanted to say it, but my autobiography has given me the opportunity to tell my side of the story of what happened with my injuries. Mm. You know, exactly what happened, exactly what was done, exactly what what I was advised and stuff. And I'm sure the reader will, will look at that and go, Oh my God. Oh my God. Right. And never realize that. I hope they do because I've never told the story before. So, um, yeah, it's, it affected me tremendously, tremendously in, in every which way, every emotion you could possibly, you know, it's it's emotional time when you're a football supporter, isn't it? You have your highs, your lows, you know, being a Borough fan, especially, do you know what I mean? It's like been through the mill previous years, but, you know, for a Borough fan during them times, you know, just as a general Borough fan, you, you know, you'll, you'll tell me it was an incredible time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. an incredible time winning the Carling Cup, UEFA Cup final, you know, top 10 finishes in the league, you know, some incredible matches, some incredible comebacks, you know, in, in the eyes of a supporter, brilliant. Yeah, but I've got a different story from inside that dressing room of, of, of myself. So yeah. that's why I want people to, you know, whether it's a Middlesbrough fan or, or any football fan, pick up that book and realise what it's like being in the dressing room when you can't do anything about it. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I, I'm obviously definitely going to be reading the book to find out about that side of the story. But it's interesting how there's such a stigma attached to injured footballers, isn't there? To, to the fact that either you're not trying hard enough to come back or you're trying too hard to come back and that means you're going to get injured quickly or, you know, you hear so many things, he was too keen, wasn't he? Maybe he should have took it a little bit easy. There's, there's all, Honestly, there's no way to win, is there, for a professional footballer being injured because you're either trying too hard or you're not trying hard enough or you're taking the wages or whatever. But I think, well, this is for me personally as a Borough fan, I, I never really felt that. It was more like, when is he going to come back? Because we want to see him back. 
It wasn't like, a, oh, you know, he's another player on the books who's injured and whatever else. It was more like, oh, we need this player back or we need to get him back. And I think that must be quite hard to deal with in terms of you've got those two things of, you know, you want to desperately try hard to come back, but you know that your body might be telling you, we need six weeks here, we need eight weeks because it's not quite ready. How do you how do you manage that? Well, you you have other people making them decisions for you, don't you? Which which um, you hope they get right, you know. And um, I put my my career in the hands of people that made decisions that that made bad decisions. So. Um, you know, it was it was often you know I had enough time being out of football to read enough and see enough and hear enough stuff that you know through my injury time. But that there was two the the two words that used to annoy me the most were the words injury prone, injury prone striker Malcolm Christie, injury prone, injury prone. What what is that? What what is that? Injury prone. What? So I'm injury. Am I? What, right, read my book and realise if I'm injury prone or not. That's 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 all I would say on that because because there was things there was decisions made things done in my time at Middlesbrough where I can't take the the clock back and 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 stuff. But there was no way on earth I was an injury prone striker. No way on earth. No, and I think I, I totally agree with that because you, you see it with some players where throughout the career they have sort of muscle injuries or they pick up knocks mm. or they have issues. And that's that's a lot of the time. But it's in, in, it's no one's fault that you get injured a lot. Well, sometimes it can be the other person's fault or, or whatever, but you know what I mean? You're not kind of like, right, I'm, I'm going to decide to be injury prone this season so that I can sit out or whatever. And up to that point in your career, you'd been a first team regular every season, hadn't you, near enough? From when you broke into the Derby side and then breaking yeah. the, the breaking into the Borough team as well. In terms of trying to get back and trying to get back into the side and trying to get your full fitness, it was obviously very, very stop start, those sort of intervening years. Was there ever a point during that time where you thought, I'm actually probably never gonna get back here? Or was it always that single-minded focus that you'd had in previous times where it was I'm going to just try and be the best and we're trying to improve myself. Did you ever have that moment of, of self-doubt where you thought, Do you know what, this is not, this is not for me? Oh yeah. Loads, loads, loads of times, loads of times. I think um, a big thing for me was when they started signing strikers, you know, you think that how that, how, how's that affecting me? I can't mm. do anything about it. You know what I mean, I yeah. can't like, yeah, yeah. what on earth are you doing signing these strikers? And, and you know, the, you know, as you know, the, the three strikers that they signed, Hasselbank, Viduka and Yakuba, all, you know, and it's not like I was sitting on the side or stamp, sitting up in the crowd thinking, oh, brilliant, they're not scoring goals, the crowd want me back. You know what I mean? It was like, it couldn't have been any worse for me. So, of course, there were times when you like, you think to yourself, God, even if I'm fit, what's going to happen here? And, yeah, there was lo there was loads of times, you know, think of all the operations that I had all the times that I knew I was going to be out for ages and and I think when I originally got my first injury I had the security there of, of, a, of a four and a half year con well four year contract so you know it was never it was never really a consideration that, that that there was anything other than getting myself fit it was it was only when I realized that you know <laughs> for them four years that I would never kick a ball that 
coming to the end of my time at Middlesbrough, then I started thinking, oh, okay, I might struggle when I leave Borough to, you know, redefine myself as, as a footballer in another club. Uh, I never thought that that would be the case because, you know, I was, even though I had my, my, my moments, I was quite strong mentally to think that I was going to, I was going to come back and make something of myself because I thought to myself, well, it can't keep, you know what I mean? You say bad luck and stuff like that. You think, well, at some stage you've got to turn, isn't it? You know what I mean? You can't just, you can't just keep going through bad times and stuff like that. But obviously, unfortunately it did. So like it went from bad to like worse in some respects. So yeah, it's, I would have wanted it, you know, when I left Middlesbrough, no disrespect to Borough to, to, you know, to show Borough that, you know, they should have kept me, you know what I mean? I didn't do anything for them. I wanted to prove that, you know, I could have been the striker that scored 20 goals and I could play with Jimmy or Mark or Yak and, and you know, forge a partnership. And I never got, ever got that opportunity to do that. Yeah, and I actually think you probably would have complimented those strikers quite well as well because you had, you all, all the strikers at the club at that time, even including uh, Macaroni as well, you're all quite different players. And you all yeah. probably could have paired off or you could have complimented one another. And it was such a, a lot of games, especially in that UEFA Cup season, that I don't think any of the, those strikers played more than like 40 games out of the 60 or something like that because there was just so many um, yeah. coming along. What was the transition like from a management and coaching point of view when McLaren came to the end? Did he say anything before he left to England, to yourself or to the players? Or was it kind of something that just had been rumbling on for a while and you kind of knew it was going to happen. And then obviously the transition into Southgate as, as from captain straight into manager. Yeah, it was, I mean, I, we, we, we kind of as, as, as players kind of did see it coming, the natural transition of, of him being a success and being English and the, the, you know, at the time England wanted an English manager, didn't they? So, you know, we knew how, how good he was as a as a as a coach and a, and a manager. Um, I certainly knew that because I respected him immensely, still do. But you know, I think it it didn't help him. I mean, the, the two the two jobs that 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 Steve ended up with and Gareth ended up were very similar in respect of obviously he was the the coach with England and then suddenly was the manager and Gareth was was the captain and then was suddenly the manager. So their parallels in some respects were very similar. They, they both didn't quite click. In either of their 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 roles as such, so um, you know, it was sad to see Steve, you know, have his experience at England as he as he did, because I I just knew that he was so so good in what he did, um, and and obviously Gareth was a bit of a strange one, wasn't it? Because you know he was one of our he was the voice of the dressing room, he was, but he also liked the banter as well. He also liked, you know having a laugh and a joke. So it was all, I would say from a player's point of view, it's just a bit weird. It was just a bit weird. Like, you know, having him there as suddenly as our manager and we were, you know, taking the mickey out of him the previous month or whatever. I don't know, just didn't, don't know, didn't, didn't, didn't work uh, initially, but having seen what he's got on to achieve, obviously I'm talking now, in some respects, probably ill of the England manager. He's the England manager, for goodness sake. Yeah, so yeah. I, I kind of knew the qualities he had. It just didn't, wasn't the right fit at Middlesbrough. Of course it wasn't because it didn't, it didn't go. But to see him do what he's done and, and to be in the role that he, that he is and to know the man that he is as well. I'm proud that he's doing that because obviously I, I was his teammate and stuff. And, 
And I'm so glad that he's got England playing some decent football and challenging for, for titles because because as a man and as a person, he deserves it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I don't think if you'd have asked me in 2009 when Southgate left Borough at the start of the championship season, that we'd see him take us to a semi-final of a World Cup, then a final of the Euros, I, I, I genuinely would have thought that was never, ever going to happen. Ever. Well, you- you wouldn't. You're not. You're not be the only person to think that. Would you? Do you know what I mean? It's like it's 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 crazy. It's crazy. But what it was, a strange. Yeah, it was, and it was a very different period at the club. Actually, after 2006, wasn't it? I think it was such a. We've had quite a lot of sliding doors moments as a club, Borough. Yeah. And I think that that was another huge one. If we'd have got sort of, I think Martin O'Neill was the rumored coach and manager who wanted to come in and bring his whole team in. Yeah. And I think he was at Villa for the next four years. And I think they didn't finish outside the top eight or something yeah, like that, yeah. or the top seven for the next four years. And I kind of feel like, well, if he'd have come to Borough, they might have gave him, a, you know, 15 million to spend, 20 million to spend on players. We kick on again and finish top half, top eight or whatever. And it's, you know, it is a very tricky thing to look back at as a fan and think, you know, how it, different it could have been. It, it almost felt at the time, whilst as a player in that dressing room, that, Suddenly, it almost felt like the recruitment was taken out of Gareth's hands. That that oh, always oh, inexperienced, always oh, his first job. Oh well, we'll go out or some whoever it was in senior oracy in the club was going out and signing the players because the recruitment changed, didn't it? It suddenly went from this mould that we had of signing players that had been there, seen it, done it, got the t-shirt, even if it was going to be there for a two or three year period. That suddenly that changed, didn't it? When when Steve left and Gareth took over, but that. And then that just coincided with the demise of the club, didn't it? With the with subsequently getting relegated, I think the the season after, so we took over. Yeah, this we was there for the two years, but then he got relegated. So um, yeah, sad sad to see that the way that the club that the club went. Obviously, because I was looking at it, even though I'm was still up in Teesside at the time, I still am still am now. Um, you know, looking at the club from from outside, but knowing what was the club was, how the club was run was interesting as well. You did, um, you did get a few games under Southgate as well. You'd managed to get yourself back fit for the end of the McLaren reign. And obviously there's that famous game against Fulham where it was basically mm-hmm. you and a load of Borough lads. I can't imagine what that was like yeah. in the changing rooms before the game. But then you managed to get yourself fit for the following summer and you played a little bit for Southgate in that season. How yeah. did he, how did he differ from McLaren in the dressing room? Obviously, there's a lot of stories that have come out about saying it was such a, a hard transition to be, like you say, making jokes with him six weeks earlier yeah. to being like, hang on a minute, you're the, you're the gaffer now, you're the one in charge. What was that like in the, like in the dressing room and on the pitch? I don't know. I, I kind of it should have felt it should have felt different because because he was coming from a different perspective, you know. You know, when he was a captain, he would blow up occasionally as a as a captain, but then he wouldn't necessarily blow up as a manager. And I'm thinking to myself, is he is he holding himself? Is he being a bit reserved here? Is he? And he used to speak a lot with the other coaches. And I'm thinking, well, and then you end up questioning: Is he making the decisions, or is people making them for him? You know, he had people set up in the stand and things. And I don't know. I just think that that it just it was probably a little bit too much for him at the time because, you know, that it just wasn't easy. And, and like, 
you know, being in the dressing room and, and things. And, you know, for me, you know, as you described there, I was kind of in and out the team. I wasn't really getting played. And, you know, I wanted a run of, you know, five or six uh, games in terms of on the bounce. I'm not talking about like one game here and then one game there, which is pretty much what it ended up being in my last sort of run of my time at Middlesbrough. That, you know, he'll openly admit, I think he made decisions like, off the cuff, there wasn't, I don't think, a lot of massive planning in terms of what we were doing and how we were going to play. I think it was just a case of trying to get through, you know, that first season, you know, unscathed in terms of staying in the league. And obviously we, we ended up doing that. But but that, as I said earlier, that was almost like the start, beginning of the end of Borough as a Premier League outfit. Yeah, it was a, it was a tricky time. That, that couple of seasons that he had us mid-table kind of felt like, it was just sort of treading water a little bit. But the fact that third season when we actually did go down, we had tried to spend money on like Afonso Alves. We brought in people like Tunshai and Ali Adier. But like you say, they weren't the proven Premier League players that we've been buying before, like yourself, Rigget, Hasselbank, Viduka, Yakubu. They'd all had three seasons, four seasons at least as a Premier League first team player before they signed for us. Whereas these other players, and it's probably a little bit like what recruitment's like now at times, they just took too long to acclimatise. And at that point, if you take six months to acclimatise the league, you're yeah. down the bottom end, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I, I say when I felt it when I was there, as I said earlier, that the recruitment changed. And when I left, you're absolutely right. Just the recruitment just wasn't right for what the club needed to just keep going with that mode of what had made Middlesbrough successful in that period. Why would you go away from doing what was made you successful? So it seemed, it did seem strange. You know, I know things have and you can't keep, you know, look at Man U now, you know, they had a conveyor belt of yeah, yeah. the way they did things and stuff and trophy track. Now look at them now. So I, I understand teams and, and situations evolve, but, you know, there was obviously poor decisions, decisions made, you know, both on and off the pitch, you know, which which transpired in 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 the, the team getting relegated this the season after I left, I think. Or well, this, this season after that. Yeah, and there was quite a lot of senior pros who left around that time. People like Schwarter who left far too early. Frank Cadrill left far too early. Um, you you left the club at the end of 2007 season. How did that mm-hmm. feel? How did that feel after what you'd been through with the club? Um, I was... I was like devastated. Like honestly, I was, you know, I kind of went there with all the hope of becoming. I wanted to become a twenty-goal striker for myself, twenty-goal a season striker for myself. I know the fans crave that with a with a, with a, with a Borough player, and I I know. You know, it's easy for me to say this now. I know if I hadn't got injured, I could have been that player. I know I could have been. Um, with the the coaching I would have got, Steve would have given me the opportunity to play week in, week out, as he always did whenever I was fit. Um, so for me to leave the club at the time, having seen everything evolve for the previous four years, as in success, for me to leave as a failure, as a failure, because I was, 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 I was devastated. I was, I was incredibly upset about it. And, 
And, you know, I, I think at the time I didn't know whether I could recover really from that because, you know, um, I just was wanting, I think at that time I was just wanting someone to just go, right, we understand you've had a bit of a bad experience there. Oh, wait, come, come with us and we'll, you know, we'll make it right with us and stuff. And, and, you know, and football's, and, and I very quickly understood that football's not like that. Football's not like that. You're, you get put on the scrap heap and people would rather take a little pick from the nice heap than the scrap heap. And I was on the top of the scrap heap. So like, oh no, actually I was probably buried right in the middle of the scrap heap. So, uh, you know, mentally I was like thinking, oh, brilliant. You know, I'm a free transfer. Free transfer. Someone's going to sign me. Oh, I was like, felt like I was John Bosman or something like that. You know what I mean? It's going to go, I oh, will give him like, you know, a million pounds signing on and uh, 50 grand a week. But no, honestly, it wasn't like that at all. It was not like that at all. Did you think that that was going to, do you think that the end was going to come so soon after? Or did you feel like, you know, I might get a chance here at a lower level, then I can work my way back up again? Did you have sort of a plan or was it just kind of, right, just get me a club, just find me a contract, get me training again? Yeah, good question. I mean, part of me, mentally was I was a Premier League player. Do you know what I mean? I was I was a Premier League player and like just just for some injuries. Like why suddenly have I got to start again? You know what I mean? And I didn't want to do that. Didn't want to do that. Did not want to do that. I didn't want to go down the levels and have to work my way back up from especially what I've been through. Mm. Like I wanted to to sort of morph from where I was at in 2003 when I signed for Borough. I was just wanted to morph back to that point in, in my life. And I couldn't really deal with that. I didn't deal with, and again, Buckle go in depth about how I dealt with that, you know, incredibly difficult time in my life where suddenly I didn't have a club. So for me to, to, to sort of try and pull myself out of that mental state that I was in and have a realisation that, do you know what? I have some long conversations with myself that one, I'm not the same player I was, and two, I'm just going to have to swallow a bit the pride and start again and and be like I was when I was 17, 18 years old and start again. And that's what I had to do. And what what was that like in terms of embark, about to embark on a new journey away from football? Did you ever stop to think about, I know you've said in previous interviews, you, you, it's been so hard to look back during that period of time. And I think... What, mm. what I know will get out of the book, all the fans and football fans who read it, how you've sort of come to terms with what that was like. What was mm. it like then, though? Because, you know, most people who are not in professional sports, we train mm. to do a job and then we just do the job. We just do the job right the way through mm. our lives. You might change a little bit, but it's still in the same field. You have to go from, well, this is your life now, but you know what? You can't do that anymore. You can't do the job that you want anymore. You've got to go and do something else. Did it... How long did that take to sort of sink in? But but I had I had almost six years of of doing that mm. almost anyway. Yeah, you know I've said I've said this quite a few times when I've spoke to people afterwards. If you take anybody out of their job, what they're doing, yeah, and have to so say you do your job, you know this. And for six years, you have to sit next to the person that does it and you have to watch them do it 
for six years while you just sit there almost in silence while you, the other person's getting the glory, doing what you love doing, yeah? If you do it a couple of times, you might go, oh, well, oh, I can't wait to, to get back because, oh, I'm really missing this. I did that for six years. Mm. So when that transition comes out about leaving football, you can probably understand why almost I was relieved to get out of football as well because the previous six years had damaged me so much that like it was it was it was hard just even believing that that was me that did it and that's yeah. that's how I reflected on it that it was somebody else that did it really you know yeah. that that person, that person that life wasn't real which it wasn't really you live you live your life in a bubble you earn obscene amount of money you can have whatever you want and you come out of that and then your life realize your life's changing and you almost feel a bit bitter towards that person that that was there mm. yeah that 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 kind of you know not that you want to be that person again but that being that person put you through so much like put mentally emotionally physically took almost everything out of me to then have to leave that person behind but remembering everybody else still sees you as that person yeah yeah that's the incredibly difficult thing for me to re-identify myself for me and not for the footballer or the injury prone mm. footballer yeah Do you know what yeah I mean? yeah, yeah. That, that was where the story hopefully when people pick the book up they'll go wow that was that was hard or you know god and i and I, I, I try and dip in as much as i can about everything and how it was affecting me emotionally and mentally what was your relationship like in those intervening years up to sort of the last couple of years with football did you find yourself enjoying the game as a fan did you find yourself wanting to sort of you know kick a ball around or was it just kind of right i, I need to sort of reset everything if you like what was that like in that time people knew not to talk to me about football because they knew that the, the that it almost scarred me mm. it, it had it had scarred me i'm gonna not gonna lie it, it, i i struggled to watch football i never went to any matches um and just totally was almost angry with it you know what i mean mm. I, you know, because I'd switch the match on or there'd be a match and I'd see a player that I knew. Do yeah. you know what I mean? I'd play with. I'd look at the dugout and there'd be someone that coached me or a physio. There was always memories. There was always something there to remind me of me. And I didn't want reminding of me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I didn't want reminding of me. So that's that's really where where it all came from. And and I just needed to switch off that part of my my emotional and my mental side of things and and realised that that wasn't who I was anymore and it was never going to be who I was moving forward. So, you know, that's that's a big, big part of... And I know, you know, a lot of ex-players, or it doesn't have to be football, of people that sports, men and women that come out of something that they love doing, you know, my experiences won't be any different, I would imagine, from the next person. But, but because I had the six years previous, what it did to me, I think... You know, I, I, 
you know, probably come from a slightly different place where, where a lot of people where it's like maybe they, oh, shall I retire now or shall I not? Oh, I don't know whether I should retire or not. Or do I retire at the top or this? Something? I didn't get that opportunity. Do you know what I mean? I didn't get that. that the opportunity to go out on my terms was taken away from me. What's your relationship like with football now? Good. Very good. I, you know, I don't know whether it's now that I can switch on the telly and like, there's nobody there that I've played with anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that, that that's that's probably been a big thing. But no, um, no, I, I I love football and I've always loved football for, you know, for when I retired at 29 and, and you know, for 25 years, it was my life. It was It was everything that, you know, I love football so much, you know, it was the only thing I ever did at school. I never had any other passions. I never played any other sport, really. Um, I watched it. I had every, you know, it was just, it's a bit of a cliche. I was I was a really big football fan as well growing up as a kid. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't just I played it. Like, I was a massive fan. I'd have everything, magazines, yeah, all yeah. sorts of things. So I was a really, really big football fan. So for me to, to lose that, you know, and I, and I lost it for for getting on for probably nearly 10 years. Mm. Associated myself with football, couldn't watch it. You know, England games, couldn't watch England games. I mean, I just love watching England games. I support them yeah. in tournaments. Like, not following or watching World Cups and stuff like that. And I just, I don't know, I just couldn't let that... I don't know, it just, it just wasn't, wasn't what I wanted and that was probably affecting me. Being disassociated with football was probably affecting me affected me more than, than actually falling back in love with it and, and actually enjoying it again. So yeah. I've got to get around that and said, well, no, having football in my life is much more important than having it out of my life, even though I've spent 10 years not having it. Do you know what I mean? So having it out of my life for so long, it came back into my life so quickly because, because it was everything for 25 years, you know? I think it's amazing your story, Malcolm. I really do, and I think the fact that you're, you know, coaching youngsters again. We've got the book to come out. I think it's, it's a real testament to your determination and sort of mentality of, you know, you've had such massive setbacks during your career, but you can reflect on that and and use that to, to make your life, maybe even more fulfilling than it might have ever been when you were a professional footballer. Um, in terms of your book, it's out very very soon. Where when is the date that it's out, and where will people be able to get this? Uh, the book, the official release date for the book is the 29th of June. Uh, it is available from all major retailers, uh, Waterstones, WH Smith, Amazon, just to name a few. But if you do want to get hold of a signed copy, um, you can get one direct from my publishers, which is Morgan Lawrence. So it's www.morganlawrence.co.uk. Uh, go on there, obviously, doing signed copies, and it's free and packaging as well. But it's only like that for the pre-orders, so... Uh, like I say, if you if you want to pick up the book and have a have a delve into my pretty much my life and it's warts and all as well. So it's it's not like I say, not just football. It talks about my personal life, talks about the holidays, the nights out. You know, it's got a bit of everything from from my life in there. So like I say, if 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 if, if anything that I've said here might have touched you in any particular way, you know, I'd appreciate the support with uh, with obviously going out there and getting the book. Thanks, Bob. I think you'll get a lot of support from Borough fans. I think we we all feel for you during that period of time, especially, and I, I certainly be one who, who would look to read that and gain some more insight. But 
all I can say is I really appreciate you spending the time and being so open and honest about what is something that we probably don't hear a lot about from footballers, the challenging times, the difficult times, especially in a world of social media where you kind of not allowed to portray that anymore. It's got to be, I've got this and this is what I'm doing with my life and I love football and it's the best thing in the world. And sometimes it isn't, is it? And sometimes I think that having an insight into what it's like when you're injured or anything like that, I mean, it's really, really interesting. I think must have been such a difficult period of time. But all I can say is thank you, and I know that this will really respond, be responded to well by um, by the Borough fans. Great, appreciate. Thanks a lot, Rob. Appreciate that, mate. Oh no problem. So if you have enjoyed uh, listening to Malcolm, please do go out there and get his book. Follow him on Twitter. I'll put all the links and everything like that within the podcast. If you do like the Borough Mag, please remember to rate, like, share, and uh, tell your friends about us. But we'll see you next time on the Borough Mag podcast. Thanks, everyone.